Welcome home. This is the Residency Podcast. I am Jeff Damasic with Drew Belcher and Lil Raven, yes, bringing sir. you the biggest guests and stories in entertainment, business, pop culture, and sports from our studio on the Las Vegas Strip inside the Mandalay Bay. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. You know the drill. We're finally back. Dude, what a hiatus. I know. Yeah. It was great. We took a little holiday time. Sorry, guys. 120 episodes, two years, two plus years. Took a little breather. Yeah, All right. it was nice. All right. You it know, nice. two, took a week. We're back. We have a huge plan for 2023. Happy New Year. Hope the holidays were incredible. Um, be prepared for some amazing episodes. Starting off strong, today we have a wildly successful entrepreneur, one of the most renowned speakers in the country, an absolute staple in the sports and marketing world, and he's going to tell us all the secrets you've ever wanted to know about everything in the entire world. David Meltzer, welcome to the show. Yes. Best introduction ever since Tom Bilyeu, man. I could pay to have that. What more could you ask than to be omniscient and omnipresent? And that's always my mission. That's it. So it was if you very believe easy. it, I'll, I'll adhere to it. I am for hire as a hype man, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll, I will let you know. I'll take all three of you guys. Yeah, yeah there, there you go. go. We're available. The I got plenty of money, man, so come by on. The, by go. the way, by the way, guys, David rolled in here with like a squad of about 60 Pro people. Probably the biggest entourage. The biggest entourage, entourage today. You and Gary V had the biggest squad <laughs> yeah. of videographers, consultants, PR yeah, people, assistants. assistants. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. You, the camera set up here is we're full on Netflix style show today, <laughs> yeah. so be prepared. Uh, can we start the show off with something fun? Yeah, please. All right, all right. You've probably been to Vegas a few times in your life. Yes, I assume. some I remember, some I don't. Some you know. we can go. we can start the show for the people. Can you just give us a wild Vegas story that, oh. we, that we know? Can we all relate to the some mayhem that happened in your lifetime? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I can't mention the other names. Uh, yeah, you don't have to. I don't want to make them. That's feel fair. Guilty, yeah. But, but I'll done. tell you. So, yeah. you know, I in the old days you could take employees to. Uh, alternative entertainment places. Uh, some of the names are like the Rhino. Yeah, strip clubs. Yes, wow. yeah, thank sure. you yeah. for saying it. For sure. And yeah. my wife knows these stories. But anyway, so that's good. I take a whole group of with some Hall of Famers as well. Yeah. Okay. And they were all like, "Have you ever been to a strip club?" Yeah. And uh, of course, at that time in my career, I wasn't as honest as I am today. As you <laughs> yeah. said, the internet knows the truth, and <laughs> I'm sure, thank God, there wasn't cell phones at the time to give you. Oh my kind gosh! Of the right. Yeah. So. I take these very wealthy people, my employees, everyone to a strip club and I portray that I really don't go and I, you know. Yeah, never been here before. I show up in the back. First thing, I was like Norma Chairs. Dave! Oh no. Ah. They close off the back room. They take almost every girl and like parade them around. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, it, I would have been canceled immediately, but these things were socially acceptable at the time. Yeah. And it's a very dangerous water to tell people that you were in the conduct of business that was acceptable at that time. <laughs> yeah. Right? For right? Sure. Like, I mean, this was normal, guys. This was yeah. normal yeah. in sports world and in the business world. And, you know, I will tell you that uh, I, I give a lot of money for scholarships. I do for my high school to college. I do to my college for graduate schools and graduate schools. To, to I give scholarship money. I still have an equal amount of scholarship money. Well, because <laughs> I'm just either? saying, the, the, the people that were entertaining me told me they were going to college. Yeah, <laughs> of yeah, course. Sure. We're all going to college. For med sure. school. So sure. let, needless to say that the experience of being in a place like that and having every single person, after you telling everyone that you had no experience at all, uh, and then giving so much scholarship money. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but to wake up to a six-figure credit card bill oh. from giving scholarship money. Allegedly. And then Amazing. of course those people wanted to go out afterwards. Of course. And then there was another club to go to. So needless to say, my biggest night here was over $250,000 of entertainment and scholarship money. Wow. You're welcome, Las Vegas. There, there it you is. Go. You're welcome, Las Vegas. And now I can't stay up past 11. There yeah, you well, go. Same. I'm in bed by like 8 economy. p.m. Yeah, it all happens. Economy. It all and, happens very quick. Yeah. And I'm sure there's alternate ways other than Red Bull to stay up in those days. No, of course. And oh, we so, love it all, yeah. And my kids down. know it. My wife knows it. I, I uh, understand that it's not right, but it's my history. <laughs> Yeah. You know, just like my bankruptcy, my history. I, there's nothing I can do about it. I just give a different meaning to my past yeah. to help me help other people in the future. Sure. Makes yeah. Sense. There Makes we sense. go. You know what is a funny... So cancel me if you want. Yeah, but I you did know, it. Uh, yeah, I, I did. did it. After a certain amount of time, you just can't be canceled anymore. Right. You know, it's just a, it's a little speed bump. You say, don't worry about it, guys. Right. You can't just adhere to the media cycle. Uh, it is kind of weird to think about, like, the socially acceptability of certain things, especially in this town. 
Yeah, for like sure. What Vegas was versus what it's morphed into being, and what was no big deal. Like even when I first moved here, Drew's yeah, ten years ago. Drew's born, born and raised born here. Born and raised born in and Las raised. Vegas. And so Lo and I have been here though for what 12, 13 12 years, years now. Yeah. So what was even okay when we got here versus now is just drastically different. Yeah, sure. well, there's a social construct called the law, right? And I always stuck within what was legal, yeah. you know, it, as sure. far as what it was. And look, you go abroad and I've traveled the whole world. There's certain things that are still legal in other countries mm -hmm. that would be canceled here. Sure. Yeah. Oh, but all I'm doing is, is following the rules of the country. Yep. And I totally understand and appreciate it. I'm not here to offend or hurt anyone, but I do believe because I love comedians that it's hurting humor. It's hurting oh, not sure. taking yourself so seriously. There, there's an old story that was one of my favorite in the corporate world. And there was a board meeting and this board meeting went awry. Like people were like fighting and yelling, you know, got serious. And the chairman stood up. He said, remember rule number five. And everyone just sat down quiet. And then conversation continued to heat it back up, stood back up again. Remember rule number five. Everyone just got calm and sat back down. So after the board meeting, I went up to the chairman. I was like, dude, what the hell's rule number five? Well, I want to know. <laughs> he goes, don't take yourself so seriously. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, think about it. Don't take yourself so seriously. And I go, what's rule one through four? He said, go to rule number five. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> I think people, we have enlightened ourselves so much and accelerated ourselves so much that we have nothing else to think about than these itty bitty things that are interfering with our potential instead of assisting us with our potential. Yeah. And the frequency of which people see things now are just so rapidly magnetized, right? Like when you see something, like you said, what oh. was socially acceptable then? I remember when we came to Vegas and there was no iPhone, there was no Instagram. For sure. There was no nothing. And now, Every, whatever you do is going to be visible to someone in some way. It's worse than that. So let me give you guys his, a little history. We represented a guy named Ryan Leaf. Okay. Oh, yeah. Who I love, by the way. Like and Ryan Leaf, like, like quarterback, quarterback Ryan Leaf? Yeah, okay. quarterback Ryan Leaf. So <laughs> yeah. what happened to Ryan Leaf was he was the first one who suffered from the stage theory. And the stage theory is once we capture what really happened, it gets modified, amplified, and perpetuated. Now, back then, the way that they captured it, modified, amplified, and perpetuated was usually by ESPN, mm -hmm. right? So it was captured by the network in the locker room when he lost his mind. Right. Because he's a human, right? Just like w Will Smith at the Academy Awards. Sure. Yeah. Right? sure. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Captured by the network, modified by everyone, mm -hmm. right? And the modification is important because that's what we see now is the modification of what actually happened. You don't see the whole interview. Yeah, you just see, you, you just see yeah. you know, Will Smith slapping so-and-so. Sure, so. sure. Then it gets amplified now everywhere because the size, scope, and scale of the audience is so big. Right. And then it's perpetual. <laughs> and why is that so important? Because the perpetual nature for Ryan Leaf was people thought he exploded in the locker room a thousand times. Got it. it was just once. Just once. Yeah. yeah. But it's seen because of media. And this is a very important lesson for people to understand that with social media comes the capture, modify, amplify, and perpetuate. To be honest, that's what's created my success is that I see things as Shakespeare saw them. The whole world is my stage. So that gives me great opportunity to capture this interview. Mod Why do I bring my own posse? Because they're capturing, modifying, amplifying, and perpetuating the best of Dave Meltzer in this interview. You think we're going to amplify the strip club story? No, no effing way. Oh, we will. Don't worry. Right? We, you guys we'll can, we'll which, is yeah. cool. <laughs> right. which is cool. Which is cool because we'll then it Third party validation that I've learned my lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. From and I'm not afraid of my past. Sure. I'm not afraid to tell everybody here that the reason I make mistakes is because God put me here. What do I mean by that? If you're not making mistakes and you hold yourself out like you're not making mistakes and learning lessons, then God made the mistake. Why the hell would you be here if yeah. you aren't doing dumb shit? Yeah. Hey, I love that. How it has do, to be a lesson you learn from it. Yeah, yeah. How do you? How do you like for? people now to control their own narrative versus how other people control the narratives for them. How do you, how does people, how do people battle that, especially on social media as you try to, like you said, control your own narrative by everything that you can do. But at some point, other people, especially if it incentivizes them to control their version of your narrative yeah. can change the actual narrative. Illuminate it, get out in front of it. Yeah. So when, when I post this uh, and modify this interview, I'll preface it maybe, or prelude something about like, as much as, you know, I talked about my dirty past and the stupid shit that I was doing at strip clubs, 
here's the real lesson of what I learned by being with these guys. Right. So I'm taking all the energy out of it. Now what it's going to do is people are going to want to go to your podcast from mine, which means you guys are going to want to have me back on because more people are coming outside of your community, getting exposed to it because they're going to want to hear the strip club story. Yes. But I've taken all the energy out of it. So now they're not, my community's not like disappointed in me. They're learning from Going, oh, I thought David was an angel. Yeah. Yeah, I never put myself out like that. Yeah. Right? They know that I'm here to give you the dummy tax that I've paid so you can make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun in your life. Can you talk about the dummy tax real quick? You've talked about it many times in a lot of your podcasts, your episodes. What exactly is the dummy tax? Yeah, so I was blessed to lose everything. And, you know, I'm a dummy. So there's two types of people in the world. There's dummies and dummies. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Go ignorant on. people and ignorant people, but there's two types of ignorant people. I initially was a arrogant dummy that thought I knew everything that I knew. I have moved to what's called a humble dummy that I know I don't know what I don't know. And so I want people not to have to lose their reputations, their credibility, their money like I have. And so that was my dummy tax. And I lost over $100 million. So why should you guys have to lose either aggregately or individually over $100 million? Because I've already learned the lessons. I've already paid the dummy tax. Why should you? And the idea of it is my whole portrait of myself is this. If I had a new logo I could do of Dave Meltzer, I know you guys like those ones, but I would (laughs) like something that looks like this because I'm trying to pull the people up behind me and I'm asking for help, something I never did when I was paying the dummy tax, which is why it cost sense. me so much. Yeah. I'm reaching up to Gary Vee saying, bro, you're much better at digital marketing than the middle-aged mutant turtle Dave Meltzer. Hey, tell, tell me exactly what to do. I'm not yeah. gonna try to figure it out. I'm willing to pay for it, Sure, but it's far less to pay Gary to teach me or him to pay me to teach him about sports agency than it is to figure it out myself. Yeah, And this is the, the model right here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the record also, we would love to not lose a hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For the I record. want you guys to make more. Sure. Money. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we got to make a hundred million first to lose it. FYI. <laughs> yeah. um, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> so losing money is all relative to how much you have. Obviously, like the quantity is is relative losing it. But uh, like you said, you famously lost a hundred million dollars. Over. Yeah. <laughs> how did it get to that point where you can lose such quantity of money? Well, first of all, it, if it was in my bank. Uh, the all cash, it would be a lot more difficult. Right. Right. But when it's leveraged, so when it's real estate and stocks and all these things, that's what's difficult because you don't even know the perceived value when, when you're in it. You, you forget. I still forget today because I do own some significant properties. I do have significant investments. I went to dinner with one of my investments last night and he's like, well, you, you know, we have a $50 million. I'm like, what? Cause I was one of the founding investors. I lost track of even how much I had to go home last night after how meeting with I them. I'm Googling like, <laughs> how much of that do I owe? What a way to start the <laughs> new year. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I just want to remind so you about a couple of questions I got for you. But it was a reminder of how you can lose it. Yeah. If you're not even aware of the value of it right. and you're just mixed. I'm an athlete, not a good one, but I'm a competitive athlete, an average division three football player in college. Like, so for me, it's the game, Sure. right? Yeah. I'm just winning and losing and what I didn't realize is I wasn't paying attention. So this was a good reminder again. Hey, look, go back over everything you own just so that you know. Now, the difference is even if I didn't know how much I own, I knew I had invested in it and, and I know my timing and risk tolerance beforehand. And I also know that my behaviors today are not ones going giving scholarship money at strip clubs anymore. I'm not surrounding myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. And I know that good behavior aggregates at the same pace as bad behavior. And I can't be aware of the result instantly. So when I'm doing good things, I have an awareness that I can't be aware of progress. So I have utilized faith that by doing good things, I'm moving in the right direction. By doing bad things, I'm moving in the wrong direction. Therefore, all I'm concerned about each day is am I doing the best that I can, good behaviors. And so as much fun as I had and as much as I admit that, you know, you can cancel me if you're not, you know, you don't love Dave Meltzer anymore because he went to a strip club with a whole bunch of athletes <laughs> and employees. That won't know, happen tw- on this 20 show. years ago, yeah. it, you know, and it happens. I, I just saw Steven Tyler, who's a friend of mine. You guys know who yeah, he is. For sure. Like some lady suing him for like, she was 17. 
her, their parents gave permission, written consent that she could go on tour with Steven Tyler. And the lady is in her like 80s now, or you know, whatever, 50 years ago. So she's <laughs> sure, 67 sure, sure. probably. Okay. She's suing him. 50 years later. 50 after the parents gave consent. Stop the madness. Yes. 50 years later. Yeah, so. The, it's, the, it's crazy. Good behavior though, Adam yeah. gets is, is a bigger point. And so to lose track of what you're doing and what you have, my wife called it taking stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. And I do that every day. So did you lose a hundred million because of bad habits or did you lose a hundred million because of a bad moment or a bad decision? Or was it a, a lot of those things? Two things, bad behavior. I surrounded myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. Um, and I didn't ask for help because I had been, you know, my nickname was money, money. My nickname was Midas. I made nine million, a million dollars, nine months out of law school. I was worth over a hundred million in my thirties. I ran my first exit was $3.4 billion in 1995. Right, I mean, what's three point four? Which is equate to how much today? Oh, thirty billion, yeah. maybe three hundred billion. I don't know. You go back because there wasn't Jesus. that many billion. It's a pretty big exit. Actually. Now, yeah. yeah, and I, I wasn't the majority owner sure, of the sure, company, of but I participated in that as an executive, and then I raised hundreds of millions of dollars. So you know, looking at how you Sheesh. perceive this stuff, yeah, right, you can lose perspective on who you are. So I thought that I couldn't lose. And you've seen gamblers like that. Yeah, was that yeah. the mentality? Once you have that much money, you're like, no, I can only go up yeah, from here. There's no way touch. I can go backwards. I was going to go, the next step was a billion in my mind. Right. I was going to be one of the youngest billionaires. That was in my mind. And sure. I didn't realize that my arrogance of not asking people for help. And I use this base camp analogy a lot the last week. Because I love it for, for several reasons. You know, I was at base camp five trying to get to base camp six. But I wasn't asking anyone at base camp six, how'd you get there? Or can you help me get there? Or who do I need to know? Or what dummy tax did you pay to get to base camp six? Yeah. Meanwhile, the people at base camp six are always super positive. As I reflect back to people, you know, like Mark Cuban or, or Steve Wynn or Bill Gates, who I was around and never asking for help from, they were always willing to give it to me. But you know who I was listening to? People at base camp four, three, two, and one who were laughing, scoffing, and make fun of me and putting me into the habits and behavior or frequency, as I call it, of base camp four, three, two, and one. And guess where I ended up? Back to base camp sure, one. Sure, right. Luckily, I'd paid enough dummy. That's why I recovered so quickly, because once I instituted the good behavior, fired people from my life, from those low base camps that were bleeding me, and started asking for help from the higher base camps, I've been able to accelerate what I do and how I do it so much faster and in such a better direction. As out of curiosity, uh, I'm married. Drew is engaged. Congrats, Drew. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Drew, you. Re very recently very engaged. Recently. Very, very recently. Very recently engaged. Um, money and- and they leave you out. I'm single. He's yeah. single, dude. Single He's guy. fucking Lowe, single. Lowe is living, Lowe, Lowe is living a different I don't universe. know. That. Maybe yeah. he had an alternative lifestyle. Yeah. 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 I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything. I, I would, I would, and I'm married. No, I would say. Now my wife's going to cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. If she hasn't canceled me already, she's never going to okay, cancel see, me. Exactly. There you go. Well, that brings you to this point where money and relationships, when things are going great, are amazing. Yep. But money and relationships, when things aren't going great, are rough as shit. What was your marriage and relationships like when you lost that money? How did you keep them going and recover? It's such a great question. First, it's interesting because determinative upon your expectation in your relationship, especially married people, do you know statistically people who get married stay married longer than people who marry for love? And let me tell you why. Because if you marry me for my money and I keep my money, you're always going to be happy. Right. When you marry for love, it's like a crapshoot. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, so you, you can see why statistically. So my wife did not marry me for money. And it actually strengthened my marriage because when I lost my money, my biggest fear in, in what turned me around was I came home at 530 in the morning. Actually, Little John, we had a studio here at the Palm you know, he's working with Grey Goose and Jaeger yeah, and yeah. Just, he was at the peak of his performing career. And John invited me to the Grammy Awards with another friend of mine. And I lied to my wife and partied till 530 in the morning, came home and she was waiting for me. And she said, hey, you're not a rock star. I did tell her at that time, 
I may not be one, but I sure feel like one. She said, great, because you're going to feel alone in the morning. I said, why is that? I'm not happy. I'm leaving you. And I'm looking around you. I'm a multimillionaire. I got three daughters under eight. I, I provided everything financially to the dream girl from the fourth grade that I ended up somehow convincing to marry me finally because she hated me since I was sixth grader. <laughs> so I threw an egg at her and I asked her to go steady and she said no. But more importantly, she you know, was going to leave me and I immediately told her what I told other people that were telling me the truth. I hate you. How dare you tell me this? My best friend, my dad, my mom. I hated them all because they were telling me the truth. Meanwhile, they're the only ones who actually cared about me. Sure. Not my money. Meanwhile, I then decide, because she said, take stock in who you were and what you want to become because you're going to end up dead where you're going. I went, woke up in the morning thinking I'd take her money because that would steal her happiness. And I look over in the closet, probably one of the weirdest moments, but greatest moments of my life. And the reason I hated my father is for my 30th birthday, the first present he gave me in 20 years after leaving me when I was five was a jacket with no pockets. And he told me, hang it in your closet because you're just like me. Money doesn't buy you love or happiness. You need that reminder in your closet. And I told my father at that time, I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, backend seller. F you, I hate you. And I hung up. I stuffed that jacket in my closet. And here I was years later, six years later, and I'm looking over hating everyone. My mom, my dad, my best friend, and my wife now. And I just broke down. I still get choked up. I just broke down crying. I don't it's like you guys seen the movie The Natural. Yeah. When yeah, the yeah. light shines on the bat. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know how that happened in my life because I wasn't a faith based person at that time. But that light shined on that jacket and I broke down just crying. And I think to myself, man, I don't hate my dad or my mom or my best friend. I don't hate my wife. I hate myself. Sure. And that's when my life changed. And I didn't change overnight. Right. This is 2006. It's been 17 years. Of course. And for two years, it was a, a struggle with my wife, you know, to prove to her that I was changing because you can't change overnight. And yet she stuck with me. And by the time I lost everything in 2008, I had shown her that I had taken stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. And she fell back in love with who I was and what I was becoming. And she didn't care. We went from 33 homes in San Diego alone to a rented house in Orange County with in Orange County with rented furniture in one car. I had so many cars when I went bankrupt, I didn't even know where they all were. <laughs> oh, Jeez. wow. Right. And so my wife and she was there. And you know how long it took me outside of bankruptcy to make my money? I made a million dollars. It took me nine months to make it out of law school because I knew nobody. I didn't know anything. All I had was desire. Well, now I had that dummy text behind me. I knew people that I'd been good to. It took me two weeks. It's crazy. Two, two weeks. weeks. Two weeks because I asked for help. I went, came here. What'd you do this month, Drew? Yeah. Yeah, no, I went, I went, I went well, to the two gala. Weeks. Damn. You guys know two Larry Rouveau, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I went yeah, to the yeah. gala here with a determination. I just filed bankruptcy that I was going to go to all those guys that were at base camp six. And I was going to say, hey, man. How can I be of service to you? And do you know anyone that could help me? I'm trying to get back on my feet. I made some dumb mistakes in, in real estate and in business. Can you help me? And in two weeks, all of those guys, Mr. Wynn, Larry Rouveau, they introduced me to all these guys that could utilize, because I was running Lee Steinberg, the sports agency, could utilize my relationship capital and my yeah. knowledge. And I put together a deal that netted me $2 million. What was that deal? So basically what I figured out was- I just want to know what I'm going to do in the next two yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we got two weeks, well, guys. Yeah, I, yeah. The fastest way, and look, the fastest way is to buy low and sell high. So Mr. Wynn invited me, in, in, introduced me to one of his best friends who provided stuff to the win. So he's always looking at buying and selling stuff. And he was from, you know, uh, the Middle East, billionaire, yeah. you know, big whale. I think they wrote a book about him, about being the biggest whale. Steve Sear wrote a book. If you remember him, the host at the- uh, Steve Sear? Steve Sear, yeah, yeah. He wrote I a know book. Steve. Yeah, he wrote a book, right? Big promoter. Yeah. He was part of that crew that uh, 
right we we uh fall away from yeah <laughs> <laughs> so he had some and, moments yeah he's a great guy yeah. but not the crowd it's not the base camp i want to be at right. sure anyway so he introduced me to this guy and he tells me i hey i heard you know a lot of you know people he said do you know anyone that is a ceo of, of this company this watch company i said yeah i know the ceo he said if i give you a list i want to buy some watches to take to the middle east can I give you a list? And I said, sure, what's your budget? He said, 10 million. I said, okay. So I called up my friend who I've always been nice to. You know, I, I brought in, you know, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Warren, whoever for the watch company to do appearances. And so they think the world of me. And I said, hey man, I have a client who's a billionaire in the Middle East that wants to buy watches. Can I send you over the list? And can you give me a price? He said, you know, as long as it doesn't come in America, it goes, to there, you know, we don't have any distribution. Yeah, no problem. So I sent the thing over and the guy comes back and my client has $10 million for him. And he says, you know, hey, how about uh, you give me nine, nine million? There's a million. Perfect. So then I said, how about- It's called margin, I everyone. Go, how about margin? Seven? This is not complicated seven. negotiation. I said, how about seven? He goes, I can do eight. I go, done. And I just clicked in my head, holy shit, this asking for help thing really works. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, not everyone has the relationship capital right. or the knowledge that I had. And yes, to get into the position, I busted my back out of law school when everyone laughed at me, scoffed at me, made fun of me, including my mom, about getting a job in the internet instead of being an oil and gas litigator. You know, I went to Tulane, by the way, that beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we saw it. Yeah. I we can actually it. say that for yeah. once. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> there he is. I posted. I posted. I Someone noticed. I don't exactly. know. <laughs> I posted the thing. I'm like. For all my friends that went to USC and asked me where Tulane is, yeah. I said, now you know. Now you yeah. know where they're at. Yeah. Now you know. Sick. We're right they're, here holding the trophy. We're holding the trophy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ride the wave. Scholarships through the roof this coming year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I like that. Yeah. So that, that's how I created my first margin. And then I literally set forth just asking for help and seeing. So here's my template. And look, anyone listening, go back and listen again to this podcast because this has changed my life. I have a philosophy. Number one, I look for people with open minds. So no longer do I teach people in sales, find the avatar. You need the you know, middle-aged woman that has fake boobs to sell them this. Sure. Yeah. Not me anymore. I simply, I look for people with open minds and it's easy to find because I usually use humor. So if they're wearing a Dodger hat, I'm like, hey, did you buy that on sale? And then if they laugh, I know that they have an open mind. If they're like, F you, I'm like, um, move on sure, sure it takes a thousand times the energy to share a vision with a closed mind that it does an open mind and because we're so connected today mm -hmm. all i need to find is an open mind then i say hey you know what are you doing today for solar or what are you doing today for appearances or for speaking engagement or coaching or whatever i want to do right? right watches i don't care then they tell me and i listen and then i say what do you like about it and then they tell me what they like about it so now I know if I can provide more of what they like, there's a quantitative value. Then I ask them, what don't you like about it? And then they explain what they don't like about solar or whatever it is, collectibles or anything. And when they tell me what they don't like about it, if I can relieve them of that dis-ease of what they don't like, I now know I can provide them quantitative value. So then I assess in my mind, knowing what you like and what you don't like, where can I provide quantitative value to succeed what I'm, to exceed what I'm gonna ask for? So then I just simply say, hey, would it help you if? There we go, yeah. right? Okay. And majority of the time an open mind is gonna say, yeah, that would help me. And then I can say, I could do this for this. And it could be money, it could be something else, right? And then if I satisfy that requirement of, providing value to exceed what I'm asking for, then I can even add on, hey, do you know anyone that can help me? A lot of times a person said, I can help you, or they say, yeah, I know someone. Now they're giving you someone at the same frequency because open-minded people surround themselves with open-minded people and you're aggregating a community of open-minded people who have open hearts and open hands that are at base camp six and seven. And this strategy, this simple template has not only made my trajectory faster and steeper but other people's as well when they practice it and they're always amazed they're like oh my god mr melter i do it in person i do it on email i do it on the phone i do it with traditional media i do it with social media and it works 
Yeah, no shit. <laughs> right? The right? other secret sauce, you guys want to know another trick? By the way, it's really shocking though. And sometimes it's it's daunting to like take advice and put it into practice because it seems overwhelming yeah. when you don't have it and it seems easy when you do. But then when you start to put it in place a little bit, you're like, yeah, just break it damn down. it, man. This yeah. guy was actually right. You know, it's shocking to people. Oh, yeah. It is like even saying thank you. Like my core foundation is I say thank you before I go to bed and wake up when I wake up. There we go. Every day. And it takes 0.1 seconds and it's free. And I guarantee people you do that, it's going to impact your life. You won't even coincidences occur by what you pay attention to and what you give intention to. And gratitude is the most powerful, easiest, fastest way. But I forget to say thank you some days. That's how hard it is, man. You and you and Gary V with the gratitude. And it just it's I think it's so uh, interesting talking to people as successful as both of you who harp on that word so much. And it's. Maybe it seems a little bit overlooked by people who, who might not understand it, but it obviously is more important. Like you get to a certain point where you're like, oh my gosh, it, it's obviously delivered things in my life that were more than I expected to get from it because of the gratitude that I had showed. It's it, from perspective, both of you guys harping on it so much. Yeah, and it's amazing to me because as you evolve with these complex things, like I'll say shit that everyone around me is like nobody understands that like my favorite thing now is you know time is the dependent variable of all matters subjective and objective matter and i can see everyone that i'm coaching teaching and talking to like right but would you just say bro exactly yeah so i'm that's where my mindset is at these level of complexity in in philosophies theoretical metaphysic quantum physics level things but yet the biggest feedback I get from people is like, oh, thank you for reminding me or thank you for teaching me gratitude. And I think yeah. that's why Gary, me, so many other people, look at some of the biggest thought leaders in the world, Sadhguru, who I learned from, or Deepak Chopra. Sure. You know, like really super enlightened people, they harp on gratitude all the time as well. Yeah. And what I have found is the more complex I understand things at a different level, at a different base camp, that if I can't articulate it in the simplest way, like buy low, sell high, find an open mind, ask them what they like and don't like, yeah. then I don't understand it fully. So gratitude for me at yeah. its base camp is, hey, just remember to say thank you and say it. And the best way to start practicing is to quantitatively measure, can I do it before I go to bed to program my mind when I sleep and do it when I wake up to program my day when I'm awake? It's that simple. It's kind of like the glass half full, half empty syndrome anyways, because of course every single day, depending on your perspective, you can find a lot of things be annoyed at, pissed off at, <laughs> yeah. family, friends, For work, sure. what, something, someone's gonna email you one thing in a day or say something to you in a day that's gonna make you upset or your kid's gonna be difficult or whatever it may be, versus if you perspective of all the things that went yeah. right in a day, the gratitude version of it. Optimistic, yeah. your day can be drastically you have to different. Meet people where they're at. So like, I laugh because Take someone, anxiety and depression is a huge issue. Mental health is a huge issue. So do you think it really helps someone that's suicidal to say, hey, buddy, why don't you just look at the glass half full? <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. it's great yeah. advice. Yeah, that's great. You could probably go kill that's, himself. Yeah, it sure. Sounds it sounds really good. <laughs> it sounds amazing. So the way you just put point, it, man, it sounded really exactly. good. Exactly. So like salesman. Right. <laughs> meet people where they're at, right? And yeah. that's where the questions come into play. That if I meet someone who's anxious and depressed, I'm all, hey, what do you think about gratitude? Right. Yeah. I, I, nothing. I'm not grateful for anything. Oh, do you think it would help you if you maybe just started to pick one thing that you're thankful for? I, I get that you're grateful for nothing, but is there one thing you can think about? That's a much better approach than going, dude, just think. Yeah, just think. Dude, everything's cool, dude. There's so much to be grateful yeah, for. Super chill. Yeah, you're in just your effing life, Dave Meltzer. You got yeah, a right? gorgeous wife who's blind and deaf. She yeah. doesn't know how ugly you are, how stupid you sound. Like, this is the kind. Of course, you're grateful, Dave yeah. Meltzer. Relatability. I get it. I, I have a question for you now. It's like, what's more profitable for you? Or what do you spend more time on building businesses yourself or teaching others to do it at this point? That's so interesting. I incorporate both. And I think I'm one of the few people that do it. So what I like to do is to build businesses myself and teach people while I'm building the business, how to either participate in my business or build their own. Mm -hmm. And so I do them simultaneously. And I think a lot of people don't see the options, opportunities and touches of favor that come from that. And so the simple way that I do that is I incorporate an overlap agreement with almost everyone that I meet. 
And it's just a memorialization. It's a non-binding, non-legal agreement that is often never even in a contractual form or signed. And it basically is a memorialization of what we talked about of how you can help me and how I can help you. And a lot of times I'll email you just saying, hey, don't forget, you, you know, I know, you know, Mark Cuban, he'd love to come on your show. And you guys had so-and-so on your show and you would introduce me to that. That's an overlap agreement, meaning in the overlap of what we're doing now, we're going to look to see how we could help each other because we have synergies in our businesses. Yeah. So now you become a part of my profitable business and I become a part of yours. And we've expanded the community to help one another. Interesting. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I mean, and then if you don't adhere to the agreement, I just put it down in priority, right? Yeah. I'll put, you know, Gary V show ahead of yours because he feeds me so many and I feed him so many. But you feed those that feed you and you let the people who bleed you fall away. You can put his before ours. Don't worry. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we wouldn't be bad. We wouldn't be bad. I, I have a question real quick. So in today's market, there's it's so easy to, to I guess, be a guru, quote unquote. Yeah. You're one of the few now that actually has built huge businesses, have been in an executive position at huge businesses. Now you're doing mentorship and coaching. How are you able to spot a fake guru in 2023? Well, first of all, I look for the cars they're standing in front of in the houses. Dude, I feel like that's the, the, the key right there is right. they rent a car, they rent a house, they do some YouTube ads, they sign up for a click funnel, and they just push out content, join my mentorship, my social media management course, all the bullshit without really having a track record when you Google them. How do you spot a fake guru? Yeah, well, look at the questions they're answering. So it's a real lesson in life that I've learned that part of trust is asking hard questions. And so you, if you Google someone, you can see how they're answering questions. And if they're not answering the question, right, then you vet it out that they're a fake guru. Because a real guru is gonna be able to answer your question uh, with, I don't know, which talk about Gary Vee. One of the things that attracted me I was helping AJ Vaynerchuk with the sports agency six years ago at the Super Bowl in the Nike suite. Jim Lairitz and I back then had a traditional radio show called Sports Blender on Gal Media Syndicated. And these guys who are here were like, holy shit, Gary Vee's in the suite. And I'm thinking, new prospect, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, who's he yeah. play for? And, and, and then they're like, fuck, yeah. the they're like linebacker, Gary Vaynerchuk, <laughs> five <laughs> foot seven, 97 pounds. Yeah. Um, and then he, they're like, no, it's AJ's brother. And I was like, oh, what does he do? And, you know, he's an influencer is what yeah. they said. And I'm like, well, why would he want to talk to me? Oh, Dave, you got to meet him. But the one thing I loved about Gary is I started talking Meltzerisms to him. And he's like, I don't know anything about that. And that's when I knew he wasn't a fake guru. Right. Because real gurus are going to tell you, I don't know. Sure. Right. But if you want to know, David, about how to build an Instagram following, I can help you with that and was so humble. So look to see when you're Googling these people, you know, what questions are they answering and how are they answering it? But part of trusting someone is being able to ask the hard questions. So if you're not sure and your gut, when my gut tells me something, I don't walk away from the deal because I don't believe that I can interpret my gut. So that just means ask more questions, ask harder questions until you resolve the gut. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of Trust them. Trust and vet. That's there is a lot of them. That's you what scroll on any platform, they're everywhere. It's just disgusting they're at this point now. It, Yellow Lambo City. <laughs> Five easy steps. Just yeah. a deposit of $1. Houses with pillars. Yeah. Yes. Dude. My favorite, one of, one of the fake gurus that I know, right? He's like, let's do this mastermind at the mansion. And he stands in front of a staircase. That's Those are also key. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, dude, I'm richer than most people, financially richer than most people. I don't have a house with two staircases. Yeah, yeah. Right? The two staircases, dude. I, Come I, on. I, 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 they stopped building them in 1991. Yeah, you know yeah. so make sure if you see a house with pillars or staircases. Yeah, it was like an this, afternoon rental. It's a good clue or a yellow Lambo. Yeah. Yellow You're on it. Lambo. Yeah, exactly. Just And if it's a small deposit, and then just 37 easy monthly payments right. of $499. Or if you have to enter your credit card first. There you right, go. Right, right. Don't do it, guys. It. Yeah, or lock you into anything. Oh, Don't do God. it. Yeah, um, you've obviously given a lot of speeches. You've done a lot of podcasts. You've done this a ton. TED Talks are like the Super Bowl of speeches. Like the only yes. branded speech. What's it like to give a TED Talk? Well, the first one I did was horrible because I channel when I speak. 
you asked me what I talked about after this interview. I won't remember most of it because I'm channeling the answers. They're, they're coming through me. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. any great artist sure. or athlete in the flow, in the zone. So at a TED Talk, it's so many parameters. You can't channel. It's like, do not say a word of a company. Like, because I told this story about my mom for McDonald's, which is one of my favorite restaurants, by the way. Same. Um, I love it. Yeah, and same. My mom, when I was super poor, six kids, would pour two large French fries into a bowl. And that to me, like I eat at extraordinary restaurants now. I, I was more excited about that bowl of French fries with my siblings than I was going to Mastro's, you know, yeah. getting seafood towers. Yeah. Like right. that's the, the emotion of it, right? And it gave me a problem with food because I have this emotional attachment to McDonald's, to sure. right? Yeah. But more importantly, I, I couldn't tell this story Right, because you, like in my mind, I can't just channel my stories and tell them like they are. I, there's all these criteria. Yeah. And then there's, I'm a time freak, so I had to make it exactly 17 minutes. And so what I learned though, because I've done several TED Talks, on my first one, you know, the TEDx person was just trying to sell me speaking coaching. Sure. And they were just trying to use these arbitrary and capricious rules. And then when I go, before I'm on stage, and I'm one of, already one of the bigger speakers that's doing it, she says to me, don't worry about anything. Just say whatever you want. Just be on time. And I'm like, I have spent three days on a speech. <laughs> constructing like a rule-oriented like, speech. Because it's a TED talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? sure. And I wanted to do it. And my ego's in my way. And what I learned and why I do them now is I literally didn't prepare at all for my other TED. And they're much better in my opinion. And I don't prepare for speeches because I, like you guys, and you said, what I love about this interview, you said, dude, let's just tell stories and learn lessons. Yeah. So I have a repository of lessons and stories. So if someone, one of my bigger speeches was here at Mandalay, uh, the annual meeting for Denny's, 7,000 people, franchisees, hour wow. and a half. Wow. And all I did was accumulate lessons and stories. And then even better than me, Magic Johnson followed me because he's the spokesperson for Denny's. Sure. And I got a really nice ovation for an hour and a half. And I gave everything I had and I was exhausted. And the producer's like, dude, I've been here 30 years. That's one of the best speeches I've heard. That's awesome. Magic. He doesn't have to stand on that stage, which is 30 yards wide, yeah. <laughs> elevated, because <laughs> yeah. the flat 7,000 people. He just stood up in front of the stage and he goes, I love pancakes. And he got like <laughs> twice as big as Oh, I love it. Yeah, so lessons and stories. And yeah. he obviously knows better stories oh. than me. Fucking Denny's, dude. The Grand Slam. Magic yeah. Johnson. We Magic would love Johnson. We would love to talk pancakes with you, by yeah, the way. Definitely. If you're out there. And he's here, man. You yeah. gotta get him. We'll make it happen. Uh, can we put you on the spot real Please. quick? All right, this is question of the day. Yeah. Good. What does TED stand for? That's a great question. Um, I thought it stand for Ted Turner. Uh, <laughs> did not. <laughs> yeah, did. So I thought maybe he created it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or Ted Geonosis. We was, had no idea either. What is it? Technology, entertainment, design. Very cool. We had yeah. no idea. We had no idea. We I said, who the it. fuck is Ted? And you know what the X Question is? Question of the day. The, oh, the, the X? X is the fake guru is that stand in front of the Ted brand <laughs> selling you yeah. speaking coaching. There you <laughs> go. There you go. <laughs> I also believe now. Base camp four. Right? Like, I'll, get ne I'll never get invited to another Ted talk, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> the, the My brand's Ted big talks? enough. People at least know David Meltzer, the meaning of David Meltzer more than the meaning of Ted. Facts. Take that. Facts. But, like Ted talks were Ted talks, I think before social media really. And then because that was the platform of like, this is where important people spoke yeah, to other sure. important people. I was watching people. them on YouTube before social right. was a thing. It was just like, And oh, then wow. now, right, this like if you got nominated for a TED Talk and it was kind of like being in Forbes, now you can just buy your way into Forbes. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah, exactly. More fake gurus. <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, right. can I tell you a quick story on that? Because you'll love cool, that. Please. So, you know, they sell those those top 10 things, right? Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it's all the DMs all the time. People yeah, yeah. were hitting me up all the time to do that when I was building my brand. And I told Justin, who's right here, right? I'm like, dude, I made it. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, they now use me and Gary to sell again. So they put me on the top 10 Forbes speaker list to sell the other eight guys. Of course. To make it seem credible. I go, I've now elevated the yes, brand. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Exactly. I'll take it. The real deal. I'll no fake guru for me. Uh, no fake guru. Do you know what, though? It's still uh, legacy brands like that or, or, or uh, I guess, legacy companies that the association gives you some type validity, of, cre of credibility, right away, yeah. validity, validity or whatever it may be. Even now, when you look at social media influencers or anything else, or honestly, even our podcast, right? It's like, we'll have some things that'll go super viral and get astronomically more views. And then we'll have some things that get picked up by traditional media. And then everyone, you'd be surprised. We get 20 million views on social media from an episode. 
it's awesome, right? If we get featured by a legacy publication, everyone that we know is like, oh my God, congrats, yeah. right? Like the association with blank, blank, blank. Stays there, man, you got a cap. So like yeah. I'm up on Times Square. And that's like another on the billboard. Right. Sure. Like, sure. Who wants to buy a billboard anymore? But like everyone in the oh my God, Dave, you're Time in Times Square. Square. Exactly. You and Gary Vee are on the Times Square NASDAQ screen. Yeah. And I'm thinking, take a picture of that sucker and start posting it. It starts to yeah. 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 It creates conversation. It reminds people that you're there, you're relevant, you're doing things, even like the Forbes stuff, even yeah. like the 30 under 30 shit when that comes out. Yeah. Everyone goes berserk for it. Because but it more feels people like people know who you guys are than Sage Steele or Mike Tannenbaum anymore. Yeah. 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 Right. And it's really an interesting thing how we're more well known. I mean, Sage was someone who I worked with early on in her career. She's an extraordinary, you know, anchor. Yeah. And yet, like us four idiots are more well known. In, in that, like I tell it all the time. I told him I'm going on this show. It was like, really? And then I'll say that Mike Tannenbaum story because him and I do. Uh, a, a Saturday football executive talk. Yeah. Right. Together. And like, it was like, who's Mike Tannenbaum? Unless you're a Jets fan. <laughs> sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Sure. Or a Dolphin. Like it's crazy. You, you know, and that's what I love about it is we have an opportunity to have a platform, but still don't discount that traditional side. No, no, Use it, it in your benefit. People absolutely love it. There's a fascination with just don't buy it. Publish. Yeah. yeah, 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 like, yeah. Get it legit. You, when you get it, use it and share it. Yeah, you know? exactly. exactly. Um, can we talk sports real quick? Can love you, it. can you explain, explain to us sports one management what you guys do the whole encompassing business yeah so sports one marketing was an evolution business warren moon the hall of fame quarterback and i started from working with lee steinberg Got we it. both always thought that the sports agentry business was a pain in our ass sure yeah. so we picked and chose all the things we loved about sports business so sports one marketing took all the events that we worked with and, and entities like the Clemente Award or the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby. And we invited all of our friends, who by the way are billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers, to come to the Super Bowl with us. And because of the relationship capital and credibility we had from Lee Steinberg and Warren Moon's credibility of being who he was, because he always went to other people's events, everybody would want to come to a Warren Moon Pro Bowl party or to the St. Jude football or the hall of fame luncheon. And so where I came in, Warren came into that side as the bug light, I called it, to be able to bring to the best sporting, because we love, we love going, we're sports fans. Yeah. Like Warren comes to flag football games with me and he is analyzing it the same as when we're at a regular game. <laughs> yeah. He just loves it, he loves Let's sports, right. World Series. Yeah, yeah. So we pick the stuff that we like, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup, ESPYs, Emmys, Oscars, Grammys, things like that. Clemente, Jackie Robinson, things like that. And we invite all the cool people to come and then we sell against them, right? There we we sell in a variety sure. of different ways. Sure. So sponsorships, all for charity. So we put on the events, our company makes a profit for putting it all together, but the majority of the profit goes to the charity that is also a bug light. So I'm huh. the chief chancellor of Junior Achievement University. You have the Unstoppable Foundation, the Crescent Moon Foundation, St. Jude, Boys and Girls Club, Big Brother, Big Sister. We've worked with and raised millions and millions of dollars. So that's where that motto came from, right? Make a lot of money, to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. So from Lee, he wouldn't represent an athlete unless they had a charitable purpose or a cause incorporated. And it was a great protector of us because two things. One, if an athlete didn't get it and want to give back to a charitable cause or purpose that he believed in, then he mindset wise, he's going to end up firing us someday because someone's going to yeah. offer him a better deal. But even more important, he made our job easier because what happened was our athletes like Evander Holyfield, Steve Young, sure. Warren Moon, Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, like eight first picks in a row. The community loved them. Why? Because they were always giving back. You know who the new biggest man of the year is, in my opinion, in the NFL? Is Austin Eckler. Hmm. That okay. guy, he gets it. He'll be a also billionaire. Also might be the fantasy player of the year. Yeah, <laughs> he'll be a billionaire someday. I'll give you a quick story because I have to tell why I know this. I was getting, Marshall Falk's a business partner of mine, okay. Hall of Famer. So my son makes the Orange Bowl, 12 year old Pop Warner championship in Orange County. That's a big deal in Orange County. Not as big as Texas, but close. Sure. <laughs> I, I asked Marshall, 
will you come up and talk to the team the Friday before the Sunday Orange Bowl? He's like, Dave, for you, I'll do it. Let, let me know. So I tell Austin that someday you're going to be like Marshall Falk, who's super successful entrepreneur, but still takes the time to give back to my son's team. And he goes, well, Marshall's in San Diego. Dave, why don't I come? He goes, you know, not to bum out Marshall. I know the coaches want him, but the kids want me. And I'm like, yeah, sure. but it's your off week, dude. It's eight o'clock at night on a Friday. It's your bye week. He goes, that's okay. I go, well, how much, you know, do I have to pay you to do it? And he's like, no, this is what friends do. And besides, I know what it's, it's going to mean to those kids. And I'm like, all right, I'll send my car to pick you up and drive you up. No, I'll, I'll drive myself. <laughs> this kid came out and he gave his all. His girlfriend's waiting for him on a Friday night at eight o'clock on his off week, right? Austin Eckler, who's the most popular Southern California athlete, yep. did this. And I said, Austin, because I, I mentor him in, in entrepreneurship, I said, Austin, you have now proven to me that you someday will be a billionaire because you get it. Yeah. And we need more Austin Ecklers out there. Great guy, man. Huh? Awesome, Unbelievable man. guy. And I'm telling you, it did more for those kids than I even thought it would. It, it, they're still talking about it. And we won the game on Sunday. Yeah. There, we, there oh, we go. And you won. We. I love the way I say we. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. such a shitty okay. dad, right? <laughs> I'm the dad I never. I, if, if people could hear what was in my head. Oh. Wait, yeah. my favorite one of what oh, I said. I rarely ever say anything, but because my, my head's going all the bullshit you, you look at parents for saying. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Right. But one time my son plays running back corner and returns kicks. He's very small, but extremely quick and fast. So he returns this kick and he gets up and he's limping, right? And I was like, dude, just rub that thing off, you know? And all the moms look at me for two reasons, right? One, you know, it's like, don't, like, he's hurt. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. this is a new world, man. Oh, God. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. You no, know, it's not a concussion. It's obviously something yeah. that you can run <laughs> off. But I didn't say run off. I said rub, rub off. that thing off. Yeah. Rub it off, dude. Rub it off. Sir. Oh, my wife, who has that mind, right? She's like, Dave. Dave, take a lap. I'm like, what's the math? These exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, a lap, take a lap. Take a lap, guy. Yeah. You, you owe everyone a lap. Right. And then there's my wife who he gets tackled in front of us on the sideline one time. And she's like, don't hurt my baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like Dude. everyone got quiet and all the kids on the field were laughing at my for son. Sure. I'm scared to even get into youth sports, honestly, for how everything is these days, to be honest with you. That's next. Can we touch on really quick, though, Lee Steinberg? Yeah. Like that, that stage? Love Lee um, Obviously, one of the biggest things that comes up when you Google your name is the relationship of you being the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports, which was the firm that they based Jerry Maguire off of. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, I know everybody probably told the story a million times, but how did that happen? Yeah, it, which is part of my entrepreneurial thing about, hey, look, there's tons of lawyers who played sports in college and like sports. Number one, I was helping a friend with a reality show. So I got to meet Lee. Little did I know Jeff Morad had just left to move to the Diamondbacks to be the president and invest in the Diamondbacks, which led him to buy the, the Padres, by the way. So I go up there to help a friend. Lee hired me in 48 hours, originally to be the COO. Six months later, elevated me to CEO. But what was interesting is I talk about skills, knowledge, and desire. I went up there, I was already back on my feet, gonna get a job with uh, TELUS, in, president of their data division in the phone business, because I came from technology. So later on, Lee told me, I said, why'd you hire me so fast? He said, one, you really resonated with me. And what I realized was that my brother who went to Harvard, summa cum laude, one of the smartest human beings I've ever met, is at the same frequency as Lee. And I shared a room with my brother for so long and lived with him for so, he's a 14 months younger than me, that I knew Lee's frequency. So I put him at ease where he's kind of on the spectrum, right? He's a super genius. So a lot of people put him at disease. So that was number one. Two, he is such a visionary that he was looking for a CEO that understood technology, not sports. Got it. He saw the future of sports in technology. And I was the only one he had ever met that, you know, not only understood law, which is important in that business, but had a sports background where, you know, I was CEO of Samsung's Photo Vision. I had hired some of these guys to do appearances, speaking engagement. Right. I'd done sponsorship deals, endorsement deals as a customer. So I had that experience, but also at the highest level, I knew technology. And that's what really excited him. And he got along with me or resonated with me. So 
I got home seven at night from meetingly, seven in the morning, got a call, say, come back up. By seven in the morning, I had an offer letter from Jeremiah Donati, by the way. And if you don't know that name, it's relevant because Jeremiah Donati was my head agent, Lee's right-hand man, but he was too young and didn't have the experience. It would have been the natural choice to make a COO in the interim when Jeff left, but he actually saw something in me as well, hired me, gave me the offer letter, and Jeremiah Donati today is the athletic director at TCU. Oh, let's go. Oh, wow. How cool is there that? He's got a big, he's got a big, big guy game coming up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Big my, Monday. My, my daughter's friend, she's 18. Uh, cutest thing, we went to their uh, New Year's Day party, and the kid comes up and he goes, Mr. Meltzer, I didn't even know we were a football school. Oh, right? Wow. And there they are in the natural. <laughs> now I know how you feel. Uh, Tulane's playing USC in the Cotton Bowl. It's a new world. Exactly. It's a new world. Everyone. Yeah. Tulane's beating USC, TCU, and the Natty. What did we win? One or two games last year? Yeah, just, just <laughs> obnoxious. Not a turnaround. Yeah. So did you put the Jerry Maguire deal together? Was no, that, that was before me. Oh, that was before you? Yeah, so, it. I mean, look, in branding-wise, it's so funny. It's like the the list, right? The credibility list. Right, yeah. Right? I ran the most notable sports agency in the world, this agency that they made the movie Jerry Maguire about. What a great marketing thing, but I'm not lying over selling, yeah. right? But I understand traditional media and how important it is to people. Needless to say, people still hire me. You know, I'm a six-figure national and international speaker. Yeah, They'll put a Jerry Maguire video because that means something. It's, sure. It's so, it does, yeah. it does, that's right? And that's the right? same yeah. thing. And I'm very honest about it. It's like, they, I'm not Jerry Maguire. I'm not Tom Cruise <laughs> yeah. and I'm not Lee Steinberg, <laughs> but I did run that sports agency, which is, and still is because they represent Patrick Mahomes and others. Yeah. Still one of the most notable sports agencies in the world. For sure. And it was a, a feather in my cap that I got hired to be the CEO of a job that thousands and thousands of frustrated little Jewish lawyers wanted. Little Jewish lawyers. Really quick, because I know you got to go in a second. Um, are there any famously athletes that were just wild to work with, difficult to work with? Oh, well, can I finish with this story? Yeah. Yeah. So. Number one, people ask me this question all the time, either who's the greatest guy to work with or who's the worst. Right. Yeah. And so I was a ball boy with the Clippers at 12, San Diego. San Diego. And I dreamed about that job and they practiced at the Jewish Community Center, the Clippers did at that time. And the head of the sports at the Jewish Community Center knew Mike Shaminsky, the head trainer, and he hooked me up. 12 years old, I'm a ball boy for the Clippers. I go in the first day, Lakers versus Clippers, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> And I screw up because it's my first day and he was so, he's pretty intense, which made him great, but he shit on me like, <laughs> boy, blah, blah, blah. I went uh -huh. home crying to my mom, I'm not going back. And my mom's that type of person. Oh yes, you are, you're gonna finish the season. You dreamed about this. I don't care if they beat you. This, talk yeah. about different times. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't care you. if they beat you, <laughs> right? You're going back. I love it. Next game, Sixers, Clippers. I'm now completely gun shy, especially of the superstars. And there's Dr. J. Yeah. And this man, he said, son, put his hand on my back. He said, why'd you give me so many socks? And I said, I don't know. They told me to put six pairs on everybody's locker. And he goes, I don't need six pairs of socks. How many feet do you think I have? <laughs> I go, two. And he goes, that's right. He goes, how many siblings do you have? I said, five. He said, perfect. He goes, grab them. I went over and he said, what's their name? And he signed each of the pairs and then he grabbed a basketball and he signed it for me. Wow. And so here's where it got interesting. As I got older, not, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Dr. J, I was 12 years old. They had no idea what my future would be. Later on in life, I had so many opportunities to hire Kareem for a lot of money. And I would call Dr. J and I gave him all these deals. He probably, netted over a million dollars from me referring business to him that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar lost. Dr. J, I have a saying, be kind to your future self. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the most difficult person to work with and still is. He's a little better than he was. Dr. J is still the easiest and kindest and nicest person to, to deal with. And marketing wise, I have credibility when people ask me this yeah. question. That's why you yeah. ask. Think about now what people think of Austin Eckler and Dr. J compared to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. And none of them knew or had any intention of utilizing me to market them 
and all of them, the good guys are still getting deals from this podcast, from me yeah. and other people that they treated nicely. And so if we could end it on my favorite saying and what you guys represent to me is don't forget, right? Just be kind to your future self. Exactly. For sure. Do good. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do bad shit. All of you will, especially if you get married. You're going to do bad shit. Just remember <laughs> gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. I promise you, you guys will make a ton of money. You'll help a lot of people. And of course, you have no problem having a lot of fun. So thanks for being those guys. And anything I can do for you, let me know. Guys, David, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate what an episode. episode. Amazing. Guys. Amazing episode. We're going to show you the journey. David's going to help us make $100 million. It's going to be insane. Well, over. Don't limit yourself, over, bro. Over. 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 Don't over. limit yourself. Drive me crazy. Win $100 million this year and then many, many more in the next year. As to fast come. as you can. Yep. Guys, follow David. Catch his book. Make sure you tune into his podcast. We appreciate you coming on the show. Guys, Red and C Pod will see you next week. And don't Thank be you. a fucking Kareem. Yeah, don't be a Kareem. <laughs>